I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Thanks for downloading and listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. I'm Coach Tony Miller, and I'm excited, really excited about today's guest. Before we get to him, I want to thank our sponsors over at Dr. Dish Basketball. Those of you who have been listening for a while now to the podcast, you've heard me talk about Dish and and the new Dish dish shooting machine that we've got that we're using here with our program. Our Dish has been a huge help for our young team, and it's not only helped guys get better individually, but it's really helped with our our team competition, fostering the competition and improved the individual workouts as well. So as you start to think about next year's budget for your basketball program, I'd strongly suggest and encourage you to think about investing in the Dr. Dish shooting machine. To find out more about that, you can visit drdishbasketball.com. Again, that's drdishbasketball.com. A few weeks ago, we had our first international guest on the show. We went across the Atlantic Ocean to talk uh, to Coach Yurik Michaels. This time, we're going across the Pacific Ocean. I want to welcome Brent Tipton coming to us from the island of Guam. Brent, thanks so much for waking up early and jumping on the call with us. Man, Tony, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I think Pacific at this time of the year might be a little bit warmer and nicer than across the Atlantic. So um, thank you for having me on the show. It's a complete honor to be here, and I'm looking forward to diving in and talking hoops here. I won't ask too much about that. We just got done with snow this past weekend, so um, I'll, I'll be jealous if I ask too much about how warm it is and how nice it is there. So um, maybe give us a brief rundown of how you got there to Guam and then what you're doing now with the national team. That'll probably set us up perfectly for what we want to talk about today. Sure. I came to Guam in 2008 with my wife. We're both educators by profession. So I'm a physical educator. That's my degree, my um, undergrad. And my wife is an uh, English as a second language teacher. And so the island of Guam is a very diverse melting pot with not only, uh, you know, the local indigenous people, the Chamorros, but also the um, Asian culture with Korea, Japan, China, um, some Vietnamese. And so English is, you know, needs to be taught here. So that's how my wife got a position. I got a position as a physical educator. Um, In 2012, I was approached with taking over the under-18 men's national team for Guam. And since 2012, I've been in some form of capacity working with um, Guam Basketball Confederation. So I've I've coached under-15, under-17, under-18 men's national teams. I was the head coach um, in 2013 for the women's senior national team. And then currently right now as well, but the last year and a half to two years, I've been working as the assistant coach with the men's senior national team. So Guam has definitely been a great point for me as far as development and uh, learning from mistakes. Uh, And I'm really excited and and thankful for the opportunity to coach here on Guam. Uh, And then sprinkled in there with all of those um, responsibilities with Guam Basketball Confederation, I was able to because of our, you know, the smallness of FIBA Oceana was able to be in the FIBA Europe coaching certificate. I graduated from that in 2018. And then most recently, um, the Basketball Australia Emerging Coach Initiative, which is their top top uh, 25 coaches, 35 and under. So able to participate in that program. Uh, so just really fortunate and thankful for what Guam has been able to provide for me and hopefully can continue growing from here. For those who aren't familiar with the international game, explain where kind of where Guam sits, both 
FIBA as a whole, and then maybe also in that Oceana zone? Sure. So uh, we compete in FIBA Oceana, that's our region. Um, there's about 10 countries that compete consistently in FIBA Oceana. And then we also have gone into the FIBA Asia Cup. So right now we are actually, we just found out last night that our FIBA Asia Cup second window is uh, canceled because we we're supposed to be going to Bahrain. Um, but in the last uh, five, six years, we've won back-to-back -back Pacific Game Gold Medals in 2015 and 2019. That qualified us for the um, Asia Cup Division B. Uh, so we went to the, the uh, Asia Cup Division B, the pre-qualifiers for the um, Asia Cup, and we played teams like Fiji, Viet Vietnam, Indonesia, Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, and then our men's team went undefeated in that tournament. They qualified us for um, the pre-qualifiers for the Asia Cup. So right now we're currently in Group C with Australia, New Zealand, and Hong Kong, and the top two teams from our pool automatically goes to the Asia Cup. And then the third place team, which is what we're really trying to fight for position for, goes to a third place um, tournament in June that will then again qualify us for the Asia Cup. So it's definitely a process um, of just trying to get to that next qualifier. Um, and, you know, as, as you know, Australia, New Zealand, Australia is a top three federation in the world. Um, we're ranked right now, I think, at 84. Uh, there's a big, you know, big gap there. And so we're just trying to close that gap. Uh, we try, you know, do that daily in our, our practice sessions and then just overall with our, uh, our micro or our macro plan over the course of a year. How about the physical and mental makeup of the players there in Guam? And, and maybe, too, how that compares with those Australias, New Zealands, the groups that you're really trying to shoot for. Sure. That's a uh, that's a probably blow you away. Our, I was just going when, when I, I figured you to ask a question similar to that uh, based upon what we were talking about. I went back to our 2017 uh, under 17 Oceania Championships uh, in New Caledonia and I looked up our average height. 5'9". That's our average height. So that's our youth team. So our under 17, that was one of the shortest teams that we've ever had. Um, our tallest guy was 6'2". We had two guys that were six foot and then obviously everybody else from there. But uh, another part of that was we were super young. So that was a um, that was an under-17 tournament. We only had five 17-year-olds, and we had five 16-year-olds, and then we actually took two 15-year-olds, and one of those 15-year-olds actually started for us. And so, you know, we, we um, that generation, that 2002 generation was really, you know, we, we didn't have many to choose from. Uh, so that was part of the reason why we were so tiny. Um, but, you know, go, when we're competing against Australia and New Zealand, they're, they're a world-class federation. Um, we're not there yet with our, you know, with our, you know, the world-classness of our federation, uh, although we're, we're approaching that. Um, and they just have a lot more to choose from. Australia has 25 million people to choose from. We have 160,000. So, I mean, that right there alone is going to be, you know, a, a discrepancy in, you know, ability, talent, and, you know, athleticism, and uh, as well as height. I'm in the position as the coach here with our program at Bob Jones. I know a lot of us are in this position. Finding the advantage, any advantage that you can in order to be competitive, you know, with the programs that are there at the top, there's only – that's how it is everywhere, right? Like there's only a few of, of the great teams or the, the big teams. And for most of us, that's just not where we're at. And so just that idea of trying to narrow the gap, I guess, and thinking bigger picture. So Brent, as we talk bigger picture here, 
some of those advantages that have helped you all be competitive with the top top teams there in, Oce- in the Oceania region? And then maybe just some things that you're thing- seeing that maybe it's just that they're new and other people haven't seen them and haven't come up with a strategy to, to you know, counteract those, those actions. But what are some of the things that you're doing and that, that you like that you're seeing and maybe some of the things that you're doing with the, the actual team that you have done that have given you guys success? What are those things? And maybe we can start then start talking about maybe how we can implement those or where we can find out how to do some of those things. Sure. I, I, I'm sure everybody's read or heard of Outlier by, uh, by Gladwell. Uh, that's something that with our federation just being so um, small in population, we have to find a way to be an outlier. And if we can find one way to be an outlier on offense and one way to be an outlier on defense, then I feel like that can bridge some of the gap, um, whether that's athleticism or height. Um, and so some of those outliers that we've experimented with is one, it's just two side transition. So we're trying to score. We believe that shots in uh, earlier shots in transition hold greater value. And, you know, with the data that kind of proves that. So we're trying to score within the first six to eight seconds of the shot clock. Um, the second way that we've experimented with, now we just implemented this about a year and a half ago, is a tagging up system. So we tag up for our transition defense. We send five to the glass. Um, it's not reckless abandonment, like some coaches think. We, you know, we have a method to send in five to the glass. Do we tag up? We just try to create extra possessions this way. Um, so obviously playing quick in transition, we're trying to up our possessions, tagging up. You're going to gain extra possessions because you're, you know, you're trying to get more offensive rebounds, uh, but also put you in a great situation to in your, in your defensive transition. So that I guess that third way that we're trying to be an outlier, but after a two side transition, tagging up um, on offensive, on the offensive glass is um, running and jumping in the full court. So in 2016, this was the first time we experimented with run and jump. And so we would mix between a run and jump and then a diamond, a diamond zone. Um, and that was really a, a really great piece that we put into with that to our 2016 team, which was the first, um, first time a youth, one of our youth teams has, has medaled in Ocean and Championships. And so that was a, a way that we tried to be an outlier, just increasing the pace of the game, try to take the height advantage um, away with our speed advantage. And that has proved successful over the course of years for Guam. Guam is very, um, very much known for their defensive toughness and their defensive resilience. And so right now we're trying to add to that offensive component of creating advantages offensively, along with that defensive toughness that we've always been known for. Coach, really quickly, let me tell you about a brand new app called Wildcard. It's a social engagement platform specifically designed for youth sports teams. You, your players, their parents, people are going to love this thing. The app allows you to create virtual training programs, manage schedules, give player and game reports, and post player videos and highlights. I've checked out the platform, and I highly recommend you give Wildcard a look. 
especially in this climate with a lot of us having limited or even no contact with our players, Wildcard allows you to stay connected and build culture with your players through the use of technology. Right now, there's a special promotion for a quick timeout listeners. You can download and use the app for free, but you must do so within the first two weeks of the release of this episode. So check the link in the show notes to download and start using Wildcard with your team today. You're do you feel like it. these things have been more of like a system? Because as a coach hears this, maybe they take just one and implement it, and it doesn't make that big of a difference. Do you feel like these things have been, as you look at them, they've actually been individual parts to something bigger, like as a whole system? Right. And we haven't introduced all of this at once. So it's been a progression over the last couple of years to where they, you know, the first thing that we introduced was the run and jump. And it took um, one tour to really get that down. And it's it's been a staple of Guam basketball for the last almost decade. And then we, you know, last uh, three years ago, we introduced a two-side transition. And so that was something that we made a, a complete shift from a numbered break, a lot of sets to more of uh, going scripted to unscripted on offense and then playing out of concepts and playing out of triggers. And then the last year we introduced um, tagging up. Uh, just most recently, really talking the last two weeks, um, I was on a call with some Australian coaches last week or a week and a half ago, just talking about changing defenses, even changing defenses mid, mid possession. And so this is something that is going to be on the table when we get this, uh, our new generation of players coming up here, when we're able to actually get on the court with them, is experimenting and exploring how we're going to change defenses mid-possession just to gain that slight advantage again uh, against teams that have better talent than us. So if I were to ask you what one or two of those, because – each of those could be their own, and we'll, we'll have you back to talk about maybe one of those, some of those other things, you know, more in depth. But maybe one or two of those that we can kind of talk about here for the next few minutes that you feel has been the biggest help in helping equalize that gap. Wow, that's, that's great. And I think everything comes down for me, everything comes down to decision making for players. And I want there to be incorporated a, a decision a decision-making component to every drill, every whatever we're doing, it has to have a decision. Decision, And so I would say that the most important thing and the, and the most transformational thing that I've had as a coach is teaching two-side transition. I'm extremely passionate about teaching players how to self-regulate, uh, how to self-organize, and to make decisions, but put them in a position to make decisions for themselves make decisions for the teammates where there needs to be no coach intervention. And that has been a process of transformation for me over the last couple of years. So I really believe that two side transition, because it is such a unscripted uh, spacing template and there's so many decisions that can go into two side. I believe that that best develops a player, not only just skill, but decision uh, and then the overall player just to have confidence in, you know, making the right decision at the right moment, playing with pace. And so I, I think that would be two-side transition. So let me, instead of talking about two-side transition, let me actually kind of spin it and talk about decision-making. Tra- decision uh, a lot of coaches are afraid of that because they say, my players just lack the IQ. Um, what, what is your response to that? And then how do you improve the decision-making of your players? That's a really great question and it's deep. I think the short answer is, well, it's my responsibility. It's our responsibility as coaches 
to create a practice environment that that transfers to a, a performance environment. And so the biggest way that I'm trying to 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 develop a learning environment in our practice sessions is with the constraints led approach. And so with this constraints led approach, without diving too deep into it, instead of telling players what to see, I want to tell them where to look. And so with that idea, uh, I was having a conversation with a coach this week, or uh, it's Tuesday here, so it was yesterday, uh, Monday for us. We were just talking about, you know, what if a player is um, not making the extra pass or is, is just too dribble heavy, the ball sticking with him? And he's like, well, you got you to gotta tell him to make the pass. And he's like, if he doesn't make the pass, then you got to sit him. And so I came around and asked him a question. I was like, well, what if we do tell him to pass, but instead of sitting him, we put a constraint in a drill to where we we um, we don't tell him what to see. We tell him where to look or we tell him the value of making the extra pass or the value of moving the basketball and put a reward on that. Or we put a, um, a constraint to where if he makes that pass, something better will happen. And so that's my belief with constraints on approaches we we use a constraint or we let the drill do the teaching for us as opposed to us uh holding that clinic uh as it's been said w within the, the practice environment so that the players are self-regulating the players are self-discovering and exploring but we are creating that environment strategically not just throwing that ball out there letting them, them play but we're strategically letting them come to their own conclusion on how to execute their skill so it comes back to um uh, perception action coupling to where the skill or the decision is going to precede the skill and then from there once they make the decision then they need to apply the skill and it's our job to equip their tool belt with the skill that they need at the point when they need to make the decision i want to ask this because i'm operating in my own bubble and i have my opinions about it but i want to see if it's consistent even across a huge body of water I have found that this type of coaching and this type of teaching, the players become more self-regulated when I give them the options rather than I just demand them to, like you said, pass the ball. And if you don't, you're going to sit. And the outcome has has actually been of more of a grasp, like I said, of them self-regulating themselves and even amongst each other rather than me having to coach. And the long-term benefit of it has actually been me actually coaching less. Mm -hmm. Do you do you find that's the case? Yes, you know that's that's really great. I uh, I, I believe that you know, this. I fell in this trap. Coaches believe that it's their job to tell, rather than listen or uh, to create the environment where the players are figuring things out and then they're starting to communicate to each other. Um, and it, it kind of falls into the rule of three, which I'm sure you're familiar with, is um, players need to self-regulate. If, if a player can't self-regulate, then a teammate needs to step in and intervene, help the player self-regulate. And then the last rule of three is uh, the coach has to intervene. And so I have found, well, I, when I first started coaching, I thought that coaching was all about the coach stomping the sideline in games, screaming, yelling, raising his voice, being animated. I get, I'm very passionate and very enthusiastic, but that does not um, over, I guess it does not um, overpower the, the power of just 
um, not talking and just observing and letting players figure things out. And I think if we want to be transformational coaches, then transformation is all about empowering players. And I think that this way of coaching is the way to transformationally coach and uh, very, very, very uh, enthusiastic and passionate about that. And I, you know, and I want to help other coaches realize that this um, is very I, I, empowering for players, but it's very, for coaches, it's very fulfilling knowing that we have, Yes, coaching is not telling. Coaching is showing and then allowing players to um, figure things out. The last half of the conversation, I want to shift it back and talk a little bit more strategic, maybe X's and O's if you want to get into those. But this idea of creating advantages, big advantages, Mm. small advantages, any way that you can go about doing those because you were talking before about the basketball decision-making and what does that look like now as we transfer it, transfer it onto the actual basketball court? And so maybe the, the two or three ways that you all go about creating scenarios in which players are able to make decisions. And I think if we're talking, maybe, maybe if we want to just stay on the offensive side of the ball, a lot of that involves creating scenarios where a defender has to help another defender, which allows for us to be able to put other players in positions where they have to make decisions and then use the skills that you were just talking about. So if you could give me one or two of those scenarios in which you're able to put players in positions where they can make decisions, because I think a lot of us, we want to be, okay, we've talked about in the clouds. Now, what does this look like in the dirt in a practice Mm -hmm. when I'm teaching them how to play the game? Because I think we're all talking now again about, we want to teach players how to play the game. Okay. So I, I know what we're trying to achieve based off what you just told me. But now in a practice, how is that going to translate? I worked with the under-15 team that was probably a JV level in the States. We worked on offensive advantage the entire year. And so without offensive advantage, there can be no decision. So we constantly put an extra offensive player to teach them um, where to look, not necessarily what to see. And we talked, we heavily talked about first touch decisions. Like I say first touch decision or FTD um, constantly, probably every minute of every practice, we're talking about that first touch decision of the the shoot it, drive it, or move it. And we use our terminology there. Our terminology is a little bit different, but that's what a first touch decision is. Shoot it, drive it, move it. And so we also defined shot selection based on two criteria. What is a small advantage shot? And what is a big advantage shot? And so a lot of this is I've stolen and adopted it from a lot of coaches, but a small advantage would be on the catch. Your defender is closer than arm's length distance or that you're you, on the catcher. Uh, um, the shot's contested. Uh, you're unbalanced. You're not in rhythm or you're not in range. As opposed to a big advantage shot, your defender is farther than arm's length distance um, to you on the catch and you're you're in range, you're in rhythm, uh, it's uncontested. So we want players to take the first big advantage shot when they have it. Now, we also two-way teach. So going back to the small advantage and big advantage shots, not only are we working offensive decision-making on the catch, but now we're working the defensive closeout on, you know, we, we call it our bubble. We don't want to be uh, too close in our bubble. We want to be arm's length distance. So now we're two-way teaching that that um, component. But one of the things that we really wanted to do was we we really worked non-linearly um, with our four-on-three um, disadvantage 
situations to five on four, five on three, and then back down to two on one, and then to three on two. So we 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 took a nonlinear approach um, so that we could add context to the decisions that they were making. So one of our favorite things to do was a, a four on three. Uh, and we put different constraints into a four on three drill. So the first one would be, uh, we work on your closeouts, we're working on, you know, our, our off ball positioning, your position is your help, you know, all those two way teaching things for defense, but offensively, what we were focusing on was how to, or where to look to find an advantage. And so the first one that we uh, introduced was just a, a, uh, either a 45 cut or a cut to create a double gap. And so let's just say the ball is in the right slot. You have both slots filled right and left, and you have both corners filled. Well, the ball is in the right slot, and the left slot cuts, cuts through, then there is a double gap between the right slot and the left corner. And so that was the first thing that we introduced. And then we, 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 we um, would introduce scenes like a DHO, which, which side did DHO to create the advantage? Do we create, uh, do we DHO a two side or a single side? Because we have a, a, a four on three offensive advantage. And then one that kind of organically came into place, and I don't know if there's a, a particular term for it, but we call it a slingshot. So a slingshot would be um, a, a two more. So instead of making a one more, we're going to make a two more. So again, going back to, let's say the ball's in the right slot, we swing it to the left slot. The left slot swings um, swings it to the left corner. That's a two two quick passes in a row. We call it a slingshot. If there is a if there's one defender guarding two on the two side then now we've just created a second closeout. So when the ball goes from um, from the right slot to the left slot, we, we that's the that's the first closeout. When it goes down to the left corner, now because we have an offensive advantage, somebody has to close out to that left corner, which creates a second closeout. We are constantly emphasizing creating uh, two separate closeouts with every one more pass. And the reason why we want to create those um, two separate closeouts is just because we're either going to have a big advantage shot or I can attack that long closeout. And now I'm playing paint to great. I'm getting a paint touch. And then now I got defensive dominoes. And now theoretically, and you know, on the court with the extra offensive player, we are gaining tremendous advantage for good shot selection. So I guess when it gets down into the drills and what we do, that's what our drills look like. Whether we're working half court uh, concepts or even full court concepts, we're always adding an offensive advantage to um, to influence that decision. Now, the and real quick here in the next thirty seconds, once we get to the older age groups, we are now working from a neutral advantage to where it's four on four, where they have to find and trigger a two on the ball moment, and then to where we get to our men. Uh, then sometimes we may be working out of an offensive disadvantage to where you know. Uh, um, not that not that defense has an extra defender, but uh, offense has to, you know, defense is already chest to chest on the ball, and then they're calling over a mid-pick and roll or getting into some type of trigger to create an advantage. What has this done from your perspective as the coach on the sidelines who's watching this? Because when you first came in, this wasn't how you played, correct? That's correct, yes. So what has this done? Just you watching. Don't talk to me about stats yet. But what has this done to the style of play? And it could be it could be the actual product, and then it could also be as far as competitiveness, individual on the individual level. Like, what has it done for the, for the individuals as you all have made this switch? Um, I, I I talk a lot less, um, so 
my goal in a drill selection is to take 30 seconds to put them in spots. Uh, I give them this, how to start the, how, how to start the drill or how to start, start the concept. And I let them play for two minutes. And then from there, I'm going to come up with my teaching points or what they're struggling with. And if I don't need to come up with teaching points, then we continue playing. But then going back and, you know, scanning to make sure everybody understands the spacing, the execution of it, and then going back and checking for understanding and providing feedback, descriptive feedback um, to what players need. But the feedback is chunked into descriptive cues. Um, so, for instance, uh, a descriptive cue for us would be, um, especially on when we're trying to get, create advantage, is punch and spray. So that's our term for drive and kick. And so we want to punch it, you know, aggressively. I know punch is obviously aggressive. And then the spray is just, when we said spray, we were thinking about a, a tagger graffiti in a wall, how the spray goes into a dimension of what they're trying to draw. We want the ball to be sprayed to the dimension of our two side spacing or to our spacing. And so now we, we're, we're, we're using those short descriptive cues or phrases to chunk a large amount of information so that we can coach on the fly so we don't stop the flow of practice. With our players, now they're using the terminology to self-regulate, to, to intervene when the players make mistakes, and it becomes more collaborative and more player-led. And mm -hmm. so when, when, players are, when players are talking and when players are leading, it is, not a, it is not show that the coach has lost control. And in fact, it shows that the, the coach has, has um, gained trust or that the, tr the coach is showing trust. And I think that's very powerful for players to see that my coach trusts in me because he's allowing me to talk. He's listening. And then when he when the coach asks for feedback or seeks feedback, maybe my feedback is just a nod, you know, well done. You guys are you hit all the teaching points or all the success criteria on target. You're on target. You know, continue on. Um, I think it just creates a very positive environment that's enthusiastic towards learning. That's awesome. Do you feel like they also maybe maybe now talking a little bit about stats and whatnot? Do you feel like a that your team plays with a little bit more pace? I mean, are they are they faster? Are they, is there less thinking that you feel like is going on? And then in aside to that, what has it done stats-wise? Has it changed when you look at a box score and the advanced stats at the end of a game? What's different than what was there before? I, I do believe that when you first do this, um, players think a lot more than they should. So I would say when you first do this, um, pace of play, there's a lot of turnovers. Pace of play is really bogged down just because players are thinking because sometimes players aren't really forced to think because the coach has designed the structure or the practice or the environment to be very coach-centered or to be very structured. So there's less thinking. And I think that's why coaches do it because they want – hear coaches say a lot of times, I just want to take out a decision for my player. I don't want to take out decisions for my players. I want my players to have the full range of decisions and then let them self-regulate to, to come up with the decision that they're going to make. It takes time, though. And so a lot of coaches are pressured to win right away or they have to win right away. In our environment, we have months that we get to have our group together before we go to a competition. So the process for us is less painful. I would say in the, in the, in the statistical side of things, 
Um, we we try to shoot more threes than and than we had in the past, and so we're trying to shoot between twenty five and thirty threes, um, and and that goes, I guess, to say the say the, the sharing of the basketball and the decision making on those shots has increased tremendously, um, and then we because of, because we're trying to play with pace and because we're tagging up, we're trying to create extra possessions. So we feel that if we can gain ten extra possessions because of tagging up. And we chart that with our offensive rebounds, and we can if we can turn each possession into one point, that's ten extra points that we have as a result of tagging up. And so that has been great for us um, as far as trying to gain the extra possessions, as well as keep that one point per possession um, with the tagging up. And then obviously, two sides can increase our pace of play to where we're going to get more shots and 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 big advantage shots in transition. Uh, coaches have heard me say this before, but. As you listen to these, my goal is for you to hear some things and then maybe go research them a little bit further on their own. Because, again, not all of this may be something that a coach can implement or feels like they should implement with their team. But you may have heard one or two things. I know that you're a reader, Brent, and that you've done a ton of study on on all of these things that we've talked about. So resources, as we kind of wind things down, resources that have been helpful to you in any of the topics that we've been talking about, whether they are strategic-based or more culture, thought. Um, and then also, too, I think the coaching and the teaching, I can tell that you are a teacher and that that you that's a huge part of what you do. And so maybe even something, a resource teaching-wise that can help improve a young coach who hasn't had a lot of experience, the actual teaching side of things, but maybe is, is, is played and whatnot, but maybe needs a little bit more of that. What are some things or some places that they should go uh, look for some of these things? That's great. Yes, I'd love to share that. Constraints Led Approach is a pretty thin book. I read that book last year, and it's just transformed how I view designing practices. Um, the The language of coaching um, is another great book for how to form descriptive cues. Um, coaching a Mental Game by H. A. Dorfman um, has been a transformational book. It's actually it's a, actually a baseball coach from the nineties. And he wrote this book and it's very impactful to me. Um, and then I haven't dove into, uh, Doug Lamov's, um, the teacher's guide or the coach's guide to teaching, but that's my next read. And I, I can't wait to get into that. I've listened to a couple of podcasts. And so that's kind of reason why I've wanted to read that book. Um, and then, um, this is a teacher teacher's book, um, uh, but perfect practice by Doug Lamov. Uh, perfect practice or practice perfect. One, one of the two. Um, mm-hmm. That was my read, read in December. It took me a whole like it took me like a month and a half to get through. Um, but those are all ways to to formulate things outside of X's and O's. And I've been making a shift towards. Obviously, I still study X's and O's, but how to study player relationship, player behavior, player psychology. I think in the long run is one of the mo- is more important than knowing the most sexy um concept or the most most used um trigger so that's been my journey of studying in the last maybe six months or so i think a lot of us coaches realize that the older that we get we realize that the x's and o's are really important but not as important as those other things so uh, great suggestion so before i let you go where can people connect with you on social media and, and, and maybe anywhere else that you would like to direct them my Twitter handle is at Coach B Tipton. And then that's the same for my email. My email is Coach B Tipton at gmail.com. 
And I love the collaboration with coaches and I get emails all the time, specifically on two side. And, you know, the questions are so thought out and they're so, you know, I love the thinking that goes behind this craft. And I always tell people that we are apprentices in a craft that is never meant to be mastered. And no matter how much I study or learn, um, it's the next day for me to get better. And I love it when coaches ask questions and I, I too are going to come back at them and ask questions. And I, I, I love that collaboration. Um, and that's how it's basically, I'm not really active on any other social platform other than Twitter. Um, but definitely, you know, would love to collaborate and, and, and talk hoops. That's coach Brent Tipton, head coach for the U 17 Guam national team. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. A lot of great information. Thank you, Tony. It's just an honor to be with you, and I really respect what you're doing. And just the, the amount of stuff that you share for coaches is I am, I am a stealer from you. So thank you for everything that you do for us coaches. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.